0: Welcome back to Commodity Conversations by Mercado, the podcast where we're talking all things agricultural markets, giving you the backstory and having a bit of a chat about some of the interesting things we're reporting on on Mercado throughout the week. I'm Olivia Agar and today I'm going to be handing over the mic to Mercado's Managing Director, Robert Herman, who's brought alongside one of our new contributors to Mercado's Friday Grain Comments, and that's Nick Booth. Now, Nick's the owner of Next Level Grain Marketing, which is a grain advisory business based in Port Lincoln in South Australia, and today's episode is very grain-focused, so I'm putting a warning out there now, but it's a really great update on what's going on overseas with the harvest in the Northern Hemisphere and the global stock situation as well. But the really interesting part about today's episode is that Nick is from the Eyre Peninsula, and they really haven't had the stellar season so far that a lot of other parts of the country are enjoying. So it gives a bit of a on the ground insight into how their crops are looking and and just what a contrast it is to some other parts of the country at the moment. But before I pass over to Rob and Nick, we do have a favor to ask all our Grain Growing podcast listeners. We have a new survey up on the Mercado website that you would have received in Friday's email. Uh, And that survey is looking to get some insight into grain growers' marketing intentions for this season. Particularly, there's been a fair bit of talk about whether East Coast growers will look to make a quick sell this season, given they might not have had a crop in a couple of years. So we're wanting to get a gauge on whether grain marketing strategies are looking a little different this year compared to what would have been a normal sort of average season over the recent years. Also, for anyone that fills in the survey, we're more than happy to provide an overview of the findings uh, once the survey is closed off if you're interested in that. So, we don't ask for much from you with this free podcast, but if you could give us those two minutes of your time, that would really help support us. But that's enough from me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode.
1: So, good day, Nick, and welcome to Commodity Conversations. Um, it's great to have you on board. Which also People who follow Mikado um, would be seeing that in the last couple of weeks you've been providing us with our weekly grain update on a Friday, and uh, and that's been fantastic to get another perspective and get someone else talking about commodity markets. So um, just on that, Nick, tell us what's um, what's happening in the markets right now. And uh, uh, to, to lead in, I suppose, I'd make a comment that we seem to be talking a lot about what's happening in the international markets and overseas why is that and what's driving that at the moment
2: oh thanks robert thanks for having us um oh look it, it's all to do with overseas at the moment and we we have we we're um probably three parts through the northern hemisphere um harvest um so obviously um you know the northern hemisphere makes up 70% of the global wheat um probably more 80% and and I think whatever happens with them will obviously dictate, you know, pricing going forward. So, so it's all about the the major exporters: Russia, Ukraine, Europe, uh, the US, and Canada at the moment.
1: And of course, then on the um, on the trade side, you've got uh, you know the biggest um, trader in the market, I suppose, is China. But we've got a whole lot of news coming out about China on the one level where they seem to be, um, you know, in in dispute and arguments with everybody, yet uh, the trade flows just seem to be f- keeping on going.
2: It's it, it is unusual. Um, yeah, you know, like you say, the Chinese are um, they seem hell bent on upsetting a lot of people at the moment. But um, uh, but you know they they have whether this is all part of the U.S. Chinese Phase One trade deal, um, but. They have been buying up big licks, of, particularly of, of, uh, of US and Brazilian uh, commodities uh, of late. Um, so I think um, oh, the other day it was reported that um, China had bought something like you know, 3 million tonne of, of uh, US corn, about 2 million tonne of, of US soybeans and about 320,000 tonne of, of US wheat. Um, so, yeah when China start buying up big licks like this, I think the market really does start to, to pay attention. It, it's a, um, it, you know, they're such a deep volume buyer that, you know, that can really change market dynamics.
1: I noticed you had a comment this week about, um, about stocks and how they're, you know, they're quite large stocks, but we've sort of got to treat Chinese stocks as a little bit differently, don't we? They're not like they're stocks that are available to the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, the,
2: the Chinese government like to keep a lot of stocks in reserve um, uh, and, and let it go almost reluctantly, um, mainly to keep inflation or food inflation under control. Um, so we, we saw that, as I understand it, the Chinese government um, embark on a, on a uh, they, they sold down their corn stocks over the last couple of years. Um and, and now I think it's at a level where that's causing corn prices internally to, to, to rise. So this is why they're, they've they turned around and I think are buying up big licks of, of US corn. Um, with wheat, um, you know, they they hold 50 odd percent of the world's global stocks. I mean, they, the, the reserves are enormous. Um, but I believe during the uh, the pandemic, there was a lot of of wheat that was that was let out of out of reserve to, to um, make sure people didn't go hungry. So, I think this last round of buying is to is to rebuild those stocks, and um, and also I think we're seeing probably more wheat feeding happen um, in the uh, domestic um, animal feed ration, um, while corn prices are, have obviously been on a tear. So, so yeah, it's. Um, it's an uh, interesting time.
1: Well, um, and that that sort of goes to explain why we need to keep looking at the international market because, um, I mean, we're, we're a, one of the big players in the export market. We're not, not massive in terms of production, but we do export a huge proportion of what we sell. So, and, and we talked a lot about what's happening here as far as the crops going, and we know that on the East Coast, um, you know we're having a massive season we've had you know the recovery yeah. from last year's drought in new south wales has been extraordinary um mm. and and then in the west they've had some rain as well and i noticed you commented on that um how things going in south australia in general and and i guess in more particularly on the air peninsula and um just i mean we've got a lot of people who listen to this from around the country um your area produces in a normal year, quite a bit of grain. What sort of production can you produce in that area, and, and how are things going?
2: Yeah, look, um, July's been pretty tough. June was pretty tough, and I think we we're all uh, you know, hanging on the um, the bureau's uh, forecast of a of a uh, wetter than average winter, and it, it hasn't materialised as yet. Um, so, so certainly August is is going to prove absolutely critical um, yeah in a I guess in an average year air Peninsula um, produces roughly about 2 million ton of, of wheat uh, about 700,000 ton of, of barley um, and oh, close to yeah, 150,000 ton of, of canola so so that give you a bit of a picture um, of the sort of levels of production um, rainfall uh, varies enormously as it does in a lot of districts, but, but you know, down the bottom end where I'm at in Port Lincoln, you know, rainfall can be sort of around the 500 mil mark. Um, you, but you go out to towards the the, the the higher, the northern end of the eastern air peninsula and also far west out in towards the Thevenard port zone um, and, you know, rainfall falls down to around that 275. So it's enormously variable um this uh last year um you know we we've seen we had a good opening so i think the the farmers uh, by and large went in fairly got in early um so as much as they could um we found out about the the uh the chinese barley tariff a little too late we might have seen less barley acres go in this year otherwise um but yeah we've just seen the the rains just slips out of us um, since this time, um, so you know, a lot of areas, particularly on the, the eastern and central EP, are probably tracking it around that sort of twenty fifth to thirty fifth decile. Um, might be sitting on somewhere between eighty and hundred mil for the year. So it's it's pretty lean. Um, any any crops on heavy ground are certainly certainly struggling a bit. So um, like I say, we. And most of my clients will tell you, look, the crop's all there, um, and what's there, you know, it's clean, it's in good good colour, looks great, just nothing underneath it. So, so the um, so August is going to be, yeah, critical for us.
1: Yeah, so so it needs a drink. It's it's ready to go. It's interesting mm. that um, speaking to people in the Wimmer and the Mallee this week, and uh, while things have been going quite well there, in, this is the Wimmer Mallee of Victoria. Um, yeah they are also saying that right now they're going to be looking for rain pretty soon and and you know june and july have been um not the wettest months that that we can get here and so they're they're ready for a drink as well um but the interesting thing has been new south wales where the the really big lift in productions forecast to come um but then that lift is coming on almost a, a zero crop last year so so that's going to be interesting. How do you think that's all going to play out with price here, Nick? Um, you know, we we know that there's the international factors, but you know, we've got a domestic basis that impacts on price as well.
2: Yeah, look, I think there's going to come a point where um, the domestic buyer is is just is knows that there is a big crop in Victoria and New South Wales, so I think they're going to start living sort of more hand to mouth. Um, going forward, there, you know, I think there's going to be a time probably through September, October where it will be getting pretty tight. Um, we might see um, some interest um, around that time. But you know, with, with such a large crop in New South Wales, um, it would appear, um, barring any kind of disaster, they're going to have a reasonable um, exportable surplus. Um, well, well, and uh, over and above their um, domestic needs. So, so I think for the the South Australian grower and the Victorian grower, you know, we're we're not going to see the um, the bigger basis numbers that we've seen in the last couple of years with that draw into the domestic zones. So, having said all that, I, I you know, I think Australia is well positioned to uh, to take advantage of of export sales on a on a rebounding. Um, export year um, I see with interest that that um, that the recent uh, tender for feed barley um, into Saudi um, I think Australia should get a, a reasonable wedge of that as well because you know our, our current prices are at replacement levels so you know we'll, that, that gives me some degree of optimism that we've you know, we might have found a bit of a flaw. Um, in the feed barley market at least
1: as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And and the very tight stocks that are around now based on last year, certainly on the East Coast, the, the tight stocks that are around to feed for feeders to access for this year is is keeping things very tight. As you say, on the one hand, you know, the buyer knows that there's not a lot about, but they've also got one eye looking ahead to the big crop that's coming. And of course the, the growers have the same information. So it's a bit of a standoff. Um, yeah. But the uh, just one thing I want to get your ideas on was the canola market. I mean, that price has really been quite, quite the um, shining light, hasn't it?
2: It has, um, yeah, and I think we've probably, um, you know, we haven't seen the canola market hit its straps yet. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, Europe, which is our biggest um, market, um, you know, they've had a terrible season um, I believe you know Ukraine which is a, a big exporter of their canola into into Europe um, they've not had a, a terrific season either um, so you know I think it, it, it stands to reason that the the prices for um, for canola only are going to are going to be fairly stable uh, and with any sort of luck we might see some upside too we just need some uh, a little bit of help from the currency, uh, and and I guess the 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 elephant in the room, perhaps is the um, you know is the COVID nineteen. Uh, we saw what happened last time, particularly around crude oil, uh, and that's going to have an influence on canola. But you know, barring any kind of major um, lockdown again, um, you'd like to think that canola, like you say, is going to be a shining light.
1: Yes. And you touched briefly on the economy and how that's such a critical thing in terms of how we're going to see th- everything unfold. And, um, you know, that travel, if travel starts to open up again, you know, that'll reduce some of the crude oil stocks. It'll improve that. And, of course, that plays into the ethanol demand, the corn demand, and and by definition into the rest of our, our markets. So... Um, So it's, as usual, Nick, uh, commodity markets are, um, there's always something to talk about. There's always um, things at play. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's been terrific to talk to you. Now, we usually finish off by a a left field question that you're not expecting that uh, will tell us something about you. Now, I know um, South Australians are great AFL um, uh, football supporters. They... um, Yes. You know the rivalry between um, Victoria and South Australia has been huge. Now the yep. question for you, Nick, is: what's your what team do you support, and why do you why have you been supporting that team? How did you become to support that team?
2: Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> uh, I think you've got some insight here, Robert. Um, my 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 uh, my favourite teams, the J- mighty Geelong Cats. Um, I've had uh, I've been very fortunate to uh, to marry into into some uh, Geelong royalty in some respects. Um, my brother-in-law is Corey Enright, so played a lot of footy for the Cats. Um, but uh, how I followed them wasn't necessarily just because of him. I, I must admit I, I've always loved a, a good underdog, and I, I remember sitting down um, watching that 1989 grand final between Geelong and, and Hawthorne and uh, and I thought that was a team for me. They never gave up. So that's pretty much where it's come from. So.
1: Well, well, you're right. I did have a bit of um, insights. I, I forgot about the Corey Enright connection. But um, for those who don't know, we, we generally record these um, commodity conversation podcasts on um, on Zoom. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at Nick as I'm talking to him here. And behind him, he's got a, a Geelong photograph. I think it might be Dangerfield there, is it? Or is that some?
2: Uh, no, no, that uh, that is indeed uh, young Corey. Edinburgh. Oh, that's young so, Corey. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the photo it. is not really so.
1: clear, but he, he certainly looks like he's moving very well at the time, and uh, and it could have easily been Dangerfield. So, so there's a bit of an insight into uh, into Nick and and what he does. Nick, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, we really appreciate the insights and uh, in your contribution on a Friday to give. You know, the, the Mercado subscribers, a bit of an update on grain. Um, having someone with a different thought process is is always very good as well. And uh, thanks very much for joining Commodity Conversations. No,
2: I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob.